Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, I'll reiterate again, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet. And I usually use this time early on in the podcast to let Ben plug a couple of the recent publications that he's written for. Ben, can you do that for me, please? You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as TechSpot and Nouveau Magazine. I also want to take this time in the podcast to thank our recent donators on Kofi. Kofi. I can't remember how to pronounce it. Uh, we'll go with Kofi today. This is a shout out to our donators, Blake and Jamie, as well as Dan and Rob, who dan- donated earlier in the month. So thank you guys. We really appreciate that. We really do appreciate it. And now we'll just get. Why don't we just start talking about cars? Isn't that what people tune into the podcast for? That's what it says on the label, Sammy. Well,. I don't have a car to talk about. You have a car to talk about? Yeah, I drove uh, a really fun car and a car that I, I've come back to over the last couple of years a few times. And that's the 2021. Well, obviously not the 2021 each time, but this time that was the model year. And it's the BMW M5 competition, Sammy. Okay, so what competition was it? It was like track and field. It was like... It was uh, it was spelling. It was spelling hardcore competition. spelling competition. Uh, but no, BMW M5 competition, that has all the letters you need to win a, comp- a spelling bee, right? It has a lot going for it, Sammy. And it might... I mean, for the price tag that I would have paid had I purchased this car, it really did need to have a lot going for it. This is a car that, as the version I drove built was $117,950. Holy moly. And this is the competition version of the car, not the non-competition yeah, version. Yeah, so the, the base version of the M5, I believe, is right around, I want to say, 103000 And the, the Do so comp- cars get more expensive? I thought they used to be under a hundred grand. Well, the only BMW, the, the next closest five series that's under hundred grand is way under hundred grand, and we've talked about it on in in the past. That's the M550 X Drive. So it's oh, it's yeah. a similar motor. They both have a 4.4 liter twin turbo V8. The biggest differences are horsepower. So the M5 has 600 horsepower. The M550 has 523. And the competition adds another 17 horsepower, which is really neither here nor there. Um, but 17? 17. That's it? Yeah. We'll get into what else the competition brings. But right now, when we're just focusing on these two cars, uh, the difference is the M550 is $76,000, which is almost 30 grand less than the M5. And in the past... I have written and I believe said on the show, I think the M550 is really the one to get from the lineup because what the M5 is bringing you is a whole bunch of stuff for the racetrack. So you get a rear-wheel drive capability. They both have all-wheel drive, but in the M5, you can unleash the or unhook the front axle and do a bunch of burnouts if you want to or drive in rear-wheel drive form with no stability control. <laughs> just, just to be clear, if you go to rear-wheel drive mode in the M5, you get no electronic nannies whatsoever. So you got to be comfortable with that. sounds like a bad idea. I mean, you've got a 600-horsepower how heavy is this thing? It's probably a bajillion pounds. I think it's or... around 4,000. 4,000 pounds. Um, 600 horsepower. It's actually very close to the Charger uh, Hellcat. Let me, Because I, I was looking at that. I was like, you For know what? power to weight ratio or just weight? Yeah, just just weight. Let me let me double check on that. Okay. So, so the, the M5 is, only, is 300 pounds lighter than a Charger Hellcat. Okay. Which so has 100. 
I think that I think it's forty. Yeah, I think it's forty five hundred pounds. So it, they're very close. So that's it's it is a heavy vehicle, but the 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 thing about all this track stuff with the M5 is it does work well. But I don't think anyone takes these cars to the racetrack, and I'm basing that on the fact that I never see them, <laughs> yeah. and that I, I the the handful of M5s I do see on the racetrack, they're usually E39s, or mm-hmm. even which E30s. are lighter, a little bit more nimble, and they're not much rear-wheel lighter. drive, right? Not much lighter. I think they're 3,900 pounds, but they're yeah, they're wow. rear-wheel drive. They're fun to drive. Um, I've driven the M5 on a racetrack, and it it acquits itself very well. Right. But this is a car that is you, you kind of buy it for the wow factor in a straight line because I think that's where most people will be driving it, and for the good handling when you're on you know a two lane road because it it has that there too. I just think you can get all of that in the 550. Just I don't without that like eye popping zero to sixty time in top speed. Well, there's a point bit, right? three second difference on paper between the two cars. The M550 does it in three point six, and the BMW M5 is I believe. Right around 3.2 or 3.3. In the real world, I know that... Oh, yeah. So it's 3.2 for M5. 3.6 for M550. So close to half a second. time for that? 3.6? But in the In the real world, Sammy, the M5 is right around 2.9 in competition form. So it's it's very, very quick. Uh, and, And there is a noticeable difference on the gas pedal between the two cars. I just... I like the M5, but if it was my money, the M550 is, for all intents and purposes, on a daily basis, just as good of a car. Okay. So, so a, a number of things I need, to, I need to bring up. Okay. You know how you said, for all intents and purposes? I've heard some people say, for all intensive purposes? Yeah, that's, that's not, not right. I mean... That's not the phrase, right? I'm not going to question what your intensive purposes are. <laughs> it sounds... To me, it sounds scary. And I don't want to know. I just do whatever you want to do in the privacy of your own BMW M5. Okay. Second, um, when you describe a 0 to 60 time, I don't usually listen to the second number. I just listen to the first number. And if that number is a 2 or lower, which I don't know if that ever happens, that's a very fast car. There's there's hardly anything faster. If that number is a 3, that's very fast. If that's 4, that's also fast. (laughs) If it's 5, I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm I'm done playing this game, right? You know what's what's crazy, too, is that... 2.9 2.9 seconds, and it's a very, very comfortable car for, you know, four people if you want to terrify your entire family from a stoplight. Like, it is it is an exceptional automobile for the way that it bends, I guess what you would call genre expectations. If we yeah, were if genre we were, expectations. We thought it was a musical. It turns out horror movie. It turns out it's just a louder musical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a so rock it's, it's, uh, it's... Very, very competent. Like, everything about the car is good. And that's a total cop-out, right? Like, to say that about a vehicle. Yeah, um, to be like, oh, this car is fantastic and everyone should have one. I want to talk about the ways that the M5 competition kind of has to differ from a standard sports sedan to get to the crazy point where it has these insane numbers and this incredible straight line speed. So, we've talked in the past about how M cars are getting more and more complicated to use just in terms of the um, interfaces that allow you to access all of that performance. And we've talked specifically about the M5 in the past. I wanted to reiterate that this is a complicated car. If you want to drive it normally, you get in, you put it in drive, you're going to be fine. If you want to do the crazy stuff that, you know, you paid the extra 30 grand for, you're going to be deep in menu systems on the iDrive. You're going to be pushing buttons on the shifter. You're going to be programming two quick access buttons on the steering wheel. Oh, and, right. 
I you're... forgot about all of these extra... Okay, so yes, there's these two bright red buttons on the steering wheel, right? Yeah, one says M1, and the other says, Sammy, what does it say? M2. M2, that's Which right. Which is another so, car. It is another car, but we're not going to get into that. So if you press that car, you, if you press that button, all you have is an M2. In no, terms of what would be awesome is if you push that car, and like a sidekick M2 showed up, and it was like, <laughs> okay, I'm in. What's the plan? And then you have to come up with a plan, or you lose the rights to the M2 button. Right. It becomes, it, it gets, it goes Deactivates. away free. Well, it's a subscription then, service anyway. Oh, right. And then you've also got that, like, uh, Wi-Fi wave going on on the gear shifter. There's Wi-Fi like an wave? icon. There's yep. like an icon that looks like a Wi-Fi uh, reception, right? Yeah, it's like three bars, yeah. and it's unclear what they do, but you can... <laughs> but there's a rocker, a left and right, like up and down rocker on you it. Can, you can add as many bars as you want, and on top of all of the things we've just talked about, there are multiple drive modes. So the the thing that's confusing is... I forgot is... about that. I forgot about that. I forgot. Thank you so much for reminding me. Okay, so yes, we've got multiple drive modes. We've got M1, M2. We've got Wi-Fi <laughs> button on the gear sticker. We've got... So, wait, hold on. And then we've got, like, different traction control modes, which is, like, uh, traction off, traction almost off, and then everything off and rear-wheel drive. Yeah, that's right? the track mode. The track mode. <laughs> yeah. So the Great. competition is the only one that has a track mode, although you can go to rear-wheel drive in the regular M5 as well. Um, oh. it, so it, what's funny is in the competition, if you go to track mode, Sammy, it also turns off the stereo system. <laughs> oh, thank you. And the, and the infotainment display now. Because you need to hear your track instructor in the car, in the seat beside you screaming to death. <laughs> now here's the thing about that makes this both complicated and simple at the same time. I was able to go into track mode and not have those things turn off because everything is totally configurable to the driver and that's where we get back to these two buttons i like these buttons because if you have a preferred setting for your car you can just set it up and ignore everything we just talked about so like you can be sitting in your driveway you can be like okay i want three bars of wi-fi access on the shifter i want to have some stability control but not all of it and i want to have a loud exhaust and then you program that to the m1 button and every time you get in you can just push that and go if you want the car that i drove was set up to have Everything you'd want on the street for M1, and then everything you'd want to lose your license and potentially drive off a bridge on M2. M2 okay. was like full <laughs> off everything. I love the, and the navigation automatically directs you to the nearest bridge. The navigation just goes to like the, the nearest track and or police precinct. Like those are the only two options you have. But uh, set up that way, you have like the, the friendliest uh, performance version and then the most hardcore. And they're accessible immediately. And it's very easy to do. And it's also very easy to take it out of. So... What I what I enjoyed doing was if I wanted to threaten another car at a stoplight, I would quickly go into track mode and then the exhaust would get louder and the revs would be higher. And then I could zoom by them and threaten them with my exhaust and then I could turn it off and just Threat go back mode. to being invisible. Um, oh, is, who, me? I'm just an old man in an M5. I mean, yeah. a 5 theory. Well, you know, being invisible is kind of a thing with this car because if, unless you know what you're looking at, not many people will be able to tell you spent 122 grand. Okay, but when people looked at your M5... Which was a bright red. It was very nice. Was it bright red? It looked kind of matte in the photos I saw. Well, it has a carbon fiber roof, so that is matte. Okay, and it had a spoiler and exhaust and a... Yeah, but not. it honestly doesn't look all that different from an M550 unless you know what you're looking at. And I appreciate that. Like, it is a somewhat undercover car. Um but uh, we, before we continue, for the listeners who are confused about the Wi-Fi shifter, should we describe that that apparently changes the speed of the of the shift 
Yeah, I, I wasn't done talking about the drivetrain. Um, it, it does change how the how the shifts happen, how quick they are. Um, each of these modes also does that, so mm-hmm. it's very conf- it can get very confusing very quickly. You can change shift speed with one button and then change it again with another button, and then not realize that the two modes together are having their own effect. It's extremely complicated, and it's simplified by the M buttons. But getting to the M buttons is not easy, and it's it's really like. You mean adjusting the M buttons? Yeah, what like, the M buttons do right because yeah. the M. The, right, otherwise, the M buttons are just there on the steering wheel. I think it would be conceivable that if you weren't trained by someone when you bought the car, like someone who sat down in the car with you and walked you through all the performance modes, there could conceivably be aspects of the car you know nothing about, like for a long time. Even though you own the car, there could be stuff that you would discover as you're driving. And this is the kind of stuff that most of it is just really useful on a racetrack exclusively. Like you're not really going to get much benefit out in the street, and I don't. Don't think most people are going to take it to the track as i mentioned so i don't think it's really necessary stuff like i would be happy if it wasn't there um i think these cars are getting a little too precious in terms of how the drive modes are accessed and i would prefer kind of more of a blanket thing i don't need it to be that configurable but configuration is key to you you know luxury is about customization you want to have a bespoke experience well, you know what's weird about speaking of bespoke experience. So the competition package, which is seventy six hundred dollars, on this car it gave me seventeen extra horsepower, but it, and, and different wheels and a little bit of different trim on the outside. And and is, you get is seventeen horsepower noticeable when no you have over five hundred? No, not at all. And uh, you get you get to M Sport seats, but uh, my car had a few other features that you think would come with the competition package. So my car came with an M Performance titanium exhaust. As, as opposed well, to the plastic one that is normally with the car? What I is guess, that? As well as an M-Performance engine cover, that an expanded... Oh, again, as opposed to a plastic one? An expanded like, carbon fiber engine cover. So that stuff, that was 7200 bucks for the exhaust and 2100 bucks for the engine cover. I think that that kind of stuff, like, why isn't that included in the competition package? It seems a little weird to me. That is wild. Um, I'm... I'm with you in the fact that I think that these cars are getting complicated. There's a there's a certain missing element, a missing link, I think, between what where they should be next and where they are now, which is uh, complex, very heavy. And I'm not sure if they're a ton of fun besides, you know, like you said, threatening other people with your exhaust well, and terrifying your passengers. I think it's fun in the sense that it's so competent. The, the 5 series is an incredible sedan in almost right. every form. It is And you but you don't need a you don't need an M5 to no, enjoy that, right? You don't, but the M5 it's honestly scary how fast it is. It is mm. incredibly quick and if that's what you want and you also want a car that won't scare you in normal drive modes just in your regular commuting, this is the car for you. Again, okay. though, the 550, also the car for you at a $30,000 discount. So if you want the most expensive, best, quote-unquote, M uh, or 5 Series, the M5 will fill that role. You won't be disappointed. None of the complicated stuff that I just mentioned really detracts from the actual driving experience. It just clouds the high-performance track aspect of it. So you That's like the re- user experience is, is involved in that. And if the people who are interested in that extra customization will use it exactly they'll dig they'll dig down in and they'll figure it out and the average person who just wants a cool m5 will be fine with everything that's already there it's just it's such an incredibly well thought out all around package but again my choice would be m550 just because it's also a great all-around package 
at one three quarters of the price. We said this with the M8 competition as well. Did or we? M8, M8 Grand Coupe. I think it was a competition that we drove, which was you no know, one needs the M8. Well, they're 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 big. Like, as you mentioned, they're large, heavyish cars, and those are not the kind of cars that I generally associate with track time. So, what right. am I going to do with all that extra stuff that I don't need? You know, like I, I understand as well that at this price point, people aren't buying the car they need; they're buying the car they want to show other people they have, and I get that, and I'm fine with it. But uh, realistically, it's this unnecessary aspects to this car. And it really makes me wonder where they're going to go next with the M5. Like, are we going to see Hellcat levels of power? Uh, what What's the next stage? Because 600 horsepower kind of feels like a sweet spot. Like, it's crazy, but it's not like face melting. It's not like Dodge Demon 840 horsepower. But do they have to keep raising the ante? Or is the answer going to be an, a, an electric motor that's going to give crazy torque off the line in a hybrid type of M5, and we're going to go in that direction next. I mean, they've clearly shown that weight doesn't matter to them, so adding hybrid elements and electrified elements to it seems like the only the next logical point, right? Yeah, I, I, I would think so. And and um, it was nice. It seems weird to say, but I was happy to get a vehicle from the press fleet that was in an actual color. Oh, yeah. it was an, It's a BMW <laughs> individual color. Uh, cool. So it's called uh, Imola Red 2. But it's, it's you know, so often what we get is silver, black, or white. And mm-hmm. the actual colors, especially on a car that's exciting, or at least is positioned as exciting, is, is nice to see. Now, this car had, you mentioned, like, um, a couple of carbon fiber elements. Those are all blacked out, right? Those are all black. They're the carbon fiber. Yeah, well, it's not like bright yellow carbon fiber. fiber and right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not or sure how to answer. Or something like that. Or, and, I mean, you can paint carbon fiber as well. Right? I mean, I guess you could paint anything. You could paint wallpaper and linoleum. I mean... Um, anything you want to add, but but is, is, there's also another M5 that has come out this year called the M5, uh, CS. Is that what competition sports, competition sport version and is limited in some way or another and has 627 horsepower. Is it lighter? Because usually the CS cars are lighter cars. It is 230 pounds lighter. Okay. So what did, what did they remove? Did they remove all the buttons? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, they used more carbon fiber. It's apparently the most powerful car in the history of BMW M, Sammy. How do you feel about that? I have no, I have no understanding of that concept. Um, how much horsepower did you say it had? Six twenty-seven. Six twenty-seven. Okay. Yeah, that, an I extra twenty-seven over your six hundred. No, an, an extra ten over the six seventeen. Oh my god, that's nothing. <laughs> this, these these numbers don't matter. They just oh, that's so. So weird. The, the weight savings comes from carbon fiber everywhere. Like the hood is carbon fiber. All of the spoilers, um, the front seats are carbon fiber. Get the mirror caps. It has two instead of having a regular bench in the back. It has bucket seats, and those are carbon fiber. And what's weird is there's a center console, but no storage. <laughs> so, and and they, they remove sound material. Oh, great. So we can hear it more often. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for hearing it more often. I don't have a problem with that. Cool. There's a Nürburgring Nürburgring silhouette on the headrest, Sammy. I wonder how much that weighs. Oh, my goodness. I guess that's neat. So So here's the thing, though. Is it $30,000 more than the M5 competition? Oh, goodness. Oh, I am looking at these photos. They're ridiculous. Is that neat enough for you? It has CS on the dash. I don't really like that. Why? Because it's a bright what orange. What if it was your initials? If, my, if I was Charles Schultz and I was buying this <laughs> M5CS? I guess so. What's funny, though, is a, the M5 um, competition is top speed governed to 189 miles an hour. 
But the CS is 190. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. That's how you win. So I guess I guess wrapping up how I feel about it, it's a fantastic car. It's over the top. Most people don't – 90% of people don't need it. Most people will never take it to the track. M550 is an, also a great car at a huge discount. Both of these cars are solid choices. And M5CS, insane. M5CS, okay. I mean, I haven't driven it. It's, it's really hard to say. I don't personally need carbon fiber seats in a luxury sedan, but that's just me. I've driven – I believe the only car I've driven recently that had carbon fiber seats was the Alfa Romeo Stelvio Quadrifoglio. Is that possible? I think it's it, possible. You haven't so driven any supercars? Not recently, no. Super, supercars are Sammy Hadjassad country. I don't, I don't touch on that stuff. Um, You're wild. The, the, I believe that the Stelvio had like the, like, it's like a solid carbon fiber bucket that's padded. And so you don't get heaters and you don't get cooling. And that's that I need both of those things. Cause I'm need, at the I, same time. I run hot and cold, Sammy. You can act. Oh, uh, I forgot to mention in the M5, you can run the cooler and the heater at the same time in the seat. Game changer. I know <laughs> it's like, I'm hot, but I'm not sweating. Right. Great. It's a dry um, heat. You know what the best thing about those cars is the massage seats and something with 600 horsepower. Sure. Right? Um, the car I drove, actually, I drove a crossover, a brand new Infiniti. It's the QX55. Sammy, before we talk about the QX55, I wanted okay. to delve into where you drove this car. Why? You, Why do you, you want to do this? No, I want you to share with the, our audience where you took it. Right. So one of my publications, which is driving.ca, Humble is, brag. Uh, is a uh, is looking to, for more local sort of uh, road trip stories. So I decided to uh, take a look into a, a local city near me. It's called Hamilton, and it's known as the waterfall capital of the world. Okay, because okay, it has I'm gonna stop you. And, no, it has 156 reported waterfalls within the <laughs> city limits. Okay, okay. So much to unpack here. So first I went chasing all, waterfalls in this infinity. First of all, no, it's not the waterfall capital of the world. Why? Second of all, what is a reported waterfall? <laughs> that somebody noticed it and reported it. So There's it, a tracking app, I'm sure. Reported waterfall makes me think like you stumbled across it. It's <laughs> not verified. So no one gets hurt. The local authorities didn't have time to verify whether it's actually there. And so they're like, okay, add it to the list. Oh, now suddenly we're the capital because we have 150 reported waterfalls. Um, Sammy, how many waterfalls did you see while you were in Hamilton? I only had a, a limited amount of time, so I saw six. I'm going to see wait, seven. Wait, 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 wait. You saw single-digit waterfalls? When there's a triple-digit... No, right, no, uh, reported triple digits. <laughs> I really want to get to the bottom of this, because to my mind, it, we were talking about this before the show, and I can't stop thinking about it. If you claim to be the capital of anything in the, in the world, right. you should be able to, no matter where you go in that city access that thing, see that thing, experience that thing, like, all the time. Like, I, I was saying to Sammy, if you're the murder capital of the United States or Canada or the world, you should be able to get murdered wherever you want. Like, on the street, in a sleazy bar, having dinner. Murder is just all around you. So if, if, if you're Hamilton and you claim to be the waterfall capital of the world, dubious claim at best, mm -hmm. if, you, if you were not seeing a waterfall every second block... How believable is this Is this title? Well, I mean, there's so much. First of all, I agree with you. There should be a waterfall immediately upon entering the city on from any angle that you, any direction you angle, you any road that enters the city, there should be a waterfall nearby. You should have uh, to drive through a waterfall <laughs> yeah. to get to Hamilton. 
Um, and that's not the case. And there's just, I think there's just a lot of, um, of parkland that has these, these waterfalls that oh, you have to trek through. And is see. the parkland inside the city, like Central Park style? No, there's just ginormous parks within the city of Hamilton, okay. the region of Hamilton. Sammy, I want. I just did some quick math. Yeah, you missed ninety four percent. Why are you doing ninety four percent of Hamilton's All right, waterfalls? I'll go, see, I'll go and see some more. I'll, I, you, I'll go see a couple more. You, you told me you were going to see a seventh. I don't even understand how you could guarantee that number. Like that seems I like can, for super sure I can. optimistic that you're gonna. Uh, what was the other can thing we, you meant? This one more thing I wanted to explore. You said that 30 of these waterfalls, 30, yeah. are 30. off limits or inaccessible. Inaccessible. You can't find – they're like – it's just hard to get there. They're, is it hard to get there because perhaps – The trail is not made that the, – the trail is not made that way or they're – Or perhaps they don't exist. Yeah, they're – or I mean, I mean imaginary waterfalls are accessible. So, I mean, if you just imagine, you can hear it, it you'll get it there. Imaginary right. waterfalls are accessible. The unnamed automotive podcast. <laughs> exactly. Can I talk about the QX55 now? Yeah, yeah, we can, we can do that now. Okay. So the QX55 is um, the latest SUV coupe um, from Infinity. It's the only SUV coupe, I think. And they describe it as the successor of the FX line of vehicles, which is a very bold claim. That is um, – that's a really – I think that was an innovative vehicle when the when the FX line showed up. You, you mean the SUV that was based on the FM platform that the G30, G35 and the 350Z was based on, the rear-wheel drive sports car platform? That's right. And, and so that's what the QX55 is, is claiming it is, a, a successor is to that? A successor to that. So that's okay. important because, as you mentioned, the FX, uh, I believe it came in two trims, which is the 35 and, and 45, which is a six-cylinder – Eight cylinder, yeah, engine. and then later a fifty, um, and then that was based on a very popular product, the Infinity G thirty five or G thirty seven at the time, which is a rear wheel drive sports sedan and coupe, very fun to drive, very nice sounding motor, um, impressive cars, if not the most practical crossovers. Um, they were fun to drive in that element. There was also the EX35, which was uh, basically a lifted wagon. I like the looks of it a lot, but there was no interior room, which I discovered during one holiday season when I attempted to visit my family and realized that I could not fit everything I needed to uh, into the vehicle, including my cat carrier. So that that was a little sad. So when Infinity changed its nomenclature for, to go Q and QX, they also updated the what was called the EX and the FX to this QX nomenclature. So the, um, the EX 35 and 37 was called the QX 50, and the FX was called the QX 70. And then when all of these new, mo- these new models came out, the, uh, the new QX 50 came out. I've already, the, I've already my, my mouth is foaming and I've fallen okay. over backwards. Good. Now, when the QX50 came out, it had nothing to do with the previous QX50. It was a much more practical vehicle. As you mentioned, one of the biggest issues with the QX50 was had no space. But it was also a far less interesting vehicle due to that platform not being the same um, derivative of a sports sedan, I think is the best way to describe it, right? Yes. And the QX55 is essentially taking that QX50 and lopping off a top corner of the roof line uh, giving it that coupe like profile and bam QX55 we're done so uh question did your QX55 have nav uh yeah which is this two uh, two it's, it has two screens one on the top one on the bottom 
Are you? Is this a waterfall thing? Are so you if you were waterfall? going to get to, if you type waterfall into the navigation, yeah. se- no, hear me out. Into the navigation when you're in Hamilton, does it just blot yeah. out the screen? Like, is yeah, it just like just there's so many of them? Like, and it, and you should see how long it takes to return that list of waterfalls. It's like someone sneezed on the screen with waterfall icons. That's what I'm. That's hoping. right. That's right. Okay. So. Um, Essentially, the, the same things that I think were relevant in the QX50 are relevant in the QX55. It has this really um, unique motor. It's a two-liter turbocharged four-cylinder engine with, with variable compression technology, which is a very complex thing, which allows it to be very fuel efficient or very, I guess, quote-unquote, powerful if I'm, you are into that. I'm holding in my hands right now as we're speaking, and this is not a visual medium, but it's the component inside that engine that allows the variable compression to happen. It's uh, I was gifted it at a QX at the QX50 launch oh, several years ago, and it is a very heavy metal component. It looks it's it's got a big hole in the middle, and it's got two connect two um, other holes for the connecting rods. And it's what allows the piston to do its um, unusual movement so that it can either have regular compression or more compression by extending the stroke, I believe. So at its peak, this this motor puts out 268 uh, horsepower and 280 pound-feet of torque, which truly doesn't sound that much more impressive than other 2-liter four-cylinder engines, which I think are now be able to push over 300 horsepower, right? Yeah, it's I like, mean, they're up there. I mean, it, the, I think the EcoBoost we were talking last week about the Ranger Tremor, right? And that's 270 horsepower. That's a 2.3 liter engine, but it has a lot more torque. So, like, you can definitely. This is the new baseline for, I would say, turbo fours. I agree with you here. Now, the motor is okay. I think the the biggest issue with this um, powertrain is the CVT, which I don't know if it's it, it feels sluggish sometimes. Um, Especially like throttle tip in can be really disappointing with this uh, with this vehicle. When you want to just get through a, a, a stoplight or a turn left at a at a stoplight or an intersection, it just feels like you're you're barely moving or you've put put pressed too hard on the throttle and then you're you're flying through the intersection like a like a loony person. Um, and I'm I'm not impressed with that refinement with, with this uh, ver- with this continuously variable transmission. I also have to add that this is one of the worst sounding engines I have ever heard in my life. It seems like it does not want to be heard in any way or form. It is ugly. It is an ugly sounding vehicle in terms of that motor. How could you even hear it though over the roar of the waterfalls that were surrounding you? Right. It is tough, but um eventually, you know, the the, the as the one waterfall fades into the distance and uh there's it, there's one in the on the horizon, there's this very short moment where you can uh hear yourself thinking but then the motor of the QX55 kicks in and that's the that's what you hear. It's it's awful, really. Um, and the rest of the vehicle is, uh, I would say, pretty average. The steering, I think, has been improved from the QX50, which is, uh, which was a low point for the QX50. It was um, a really vague sense of steering, and I feel a little bit better in this one. And the steering uh, and the suspension as well, a little bit more communicative. But again, we're talking about luxury uh, crossovers. This is not a sports car like the old models used to be uh, based on, and it just does not feel anywhere near as exciting or um in engaging as those vehicles used to be i will add though the interior is among the prettiest um in the luxury car segment i think it's almost up there with the likes of genesis in their in terms of the interior design and color combinations 
The only thing that needs to change is the technology within the cabin. As I mentioned, there's a two-screen infotainment system, which I think eventually will be combined into one vertical screen, I suppose is the best way to describe it, or you know, portrait-style screen. And uh, maybe a, a better digital gauge cluster would be um, a, a nice addition to the cabin. Well, as you well. know, a, a big portrait screen would be perfect for viewing TikTok videos. <laughs> yes, of course. We are not on TikTok, but we probably should be. Really? Sammy, I don't know. Honestly, you're my go-to for everything TikTok and Waterfall, so if you don't have the answer, no one does. Okay, I'll, pr- I'll try to get some stats that uh, support or dispel this notion. <laughs> um, I want to say it's, uh, it's good value. This vehicle tops out at around si- just $57,000, uh, probably sixty with the destination and probably a nice uh, exterior paint finish. But I'm not – there's something about the vehicle that is just lost in the action on the, on the road. I think it looks pretty decent. It, the interior is really attractive. The spec sheet is alluring in a way with that, with that powertrain being interesting. But once you start driving it, I think you lose the, the specialness of this Infiniti lineup and I, of this Infiniti vehicle. And I think that goes to, to the QX50 as well. There's just – it's missing something. That will really put it over the top, and I don't know how and where they're going to find that. Infinity used to be a very interesting um, automaker. They used to have really exciting uh, vehicles. They had great-sounding motors, and I don't know where they're at with this. They have decent design, a very good design, I would say, but not much else. And I think design is, uh, you know, is contentious, and any vehicle can be considered pretty uh, so long as it's not, I don't know, the BMW X4 or something. Wow. Sorry. Do you know what I mean? Like, am I am I rambling a bit too much about this? I I can't. What is it about an Infinity that you would want in your life? It's really hard question to ask. It's really hard to understand what Infinity brings to the table that is unique. I would agree with you. Uh, it's like you have these generally decent luxury cars, but aside from the twin turbo six cylinder engine in the Red Sports. Yep. I'm not so sure. Like I, I like the look of the the QX50 and the 55. Like you mentioned, the interior is pretty nice, but the driving experience doesn't really stand out. And that doesn't mean it's it's a bad experience. It just means like what's compelling. And it, it could be any other car. If that's what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah. No, it I doesn't agree. feel special to the Infinity. I agree with you there. So that's not a great place to be in unless you have a huge kind of built-in buyer base. And I don't think Infinity does. So, I mean, a car with a com- variable compression technology, we'll say, which is supposed to be a big deal. Um, you can't sell variable compression technology no. to somebody. It's, it's not something some, – no one goes into a dealership and is like, okay, give me all of your variable compression technology right now or I'm going across the street to Acura. But do you think they try to make it feel mundane or sound mundane in an effort to make it seem normal and reliable and like – you know, to to make the perception that this isn't some newfangled, bizarro world technology that is just normal, like I a think, normal motor like everything else. I think maybe they didn't really know how to market it, and it was something mm-hmm. that you know they were just doing engineering wise, and then marketing was like, "Hey, maybe we can do something with this." And then they we found out the answer was no. <laughs> yeah, I also should add that, like, I I don't think fuel economy wise, it's a superb situation either. I, let me figure out what the fuel numbers are. Um, uh, by the but from the feds here, but yeah, combined fuel mileage is twenty five miles per gallon. I mean that's not fantastic for a small crossover. 
it's not fantastic, right? And and this is one of the things that the motor should be helping accentuate in, especially on a on a given test like the EPA uh, mileage uh, estimates, right? Yeah, like, oh, I agree. They should be able to like the CVT should be able to just hone that in, and the the compre- the variable compression should be able to dial it back, and you should be able to sustain your your highway mileage. But twenty eight miles per gallon for a turbo four with this fancy technology just doesn't seem like it's cutting it. So I, I'm a little disappointed here, and that's important because I think style wise, probably the best looking um, crossover coupe in this segment when you've got the GLC coupe and the X four that I mentioned. Um, I'm trying to think of the other ones in this segment. Those are the top top models, I would suppose. I think the XT4 is almost at that design level, that profile. But I think the QX55 is probably the most attractive, and it has a gorgeous interior as well. But everything else about the car really just doesn't add up. Um, I'm a little disappointed in that fact. Is in there that, any, anything uh, else about the car you wanted to, to discuss? Do I Should I talk about ProPilot Assist or the the... Mm. I mean, I think we talked about that recently with an, uh, exactly. another Nissan vehicle. So, and it doesn't change significantly in this vehicle. It works; it's pretty reliable. It works nicely. It doesn't put you, it. It puts you at ease, I think, uh, in terms of how it operates um, with soft beeps that can let you know that it sees a car or a lane or something like that. Soft so. beeps. Yes, and um, I, I'm just thinking that Infiniti needs to get another thing in, uh, under their belt to make sure that these cars stand out in com- in competition. In, in comparison to the competition, GLCs and X4s are everywhere um, when it comes to the segment. And people are into that. So what are you doing to make that, to improve that uh, visibility of your product? You are listening to 55.5 Infinity Radio, soft beeps all night long. Um, do you have one, should we get to um, a listener question this week? I think we should. Okay. This next comes- next caller is uh, on Infinity Soft Beeps. Um, caller, what is your question? Uh, this comes from Blake. Blake says uh, he'd like us to talk about the 2008 Nissan GTR, and he suggests that um, this marked the end of the driver's car era. This was the peak driver's car era. Up until that point, he says zero to sixty was not, you know, the the be all end all of the conversation. And when the, the 2008 GTR showed up with its all-wheel drive and all of its computers, then that's all people were talking about for the next – till now, I suppose. What do you think about that? I think that's a really it's – a, it's a statement. It is a, definitely a bold statement to make, and I can see where his argument takes hold. The, the 2008 GTR ended a lot of conversations about cars because of the performance that it offered, the price that it was offered at, um, and that 0-60 to 60 time that was mind-boggling at the time. Which was, I think, around three seconds, right? I think it was a little higher than that. But I think that it's a complex complex answer that involves more than just, you know, horsepower became a thing in the teens, the 20 teens, whatever you want to call them, because it was so easy to do. Because once car companies figured out supercharging and turbocharging and could do it in a reliable way, all of a sudden there was no reason not to offer huge gobs of horsepower. Whereas if you were looking at the um, 2000s and the 90s, the only real way to offer reliable amounts of horsepower was with displacement Mm -hmm. or supercharging, which is essentially adding displacement. Turbo cars were around in the 90s, but they, they weren't like crazy amounts of power. You were looking at probably 300 horsepower in cars like the RX-7 and the um, 
the Supra and even the DSMs were like pretty low in horsepower because that's where they could be reliable. And once once that was out of the picture, uh, you were able to just give horsepower to everyone and you entered into a, an era where I don't know if I would say that the driver's cars stopped being built, but you became bench racing became much more important and and car companies right. were able to boast about zero to 60 times that were crazy. I mean, if you look at like the early two thousands, the, I think the most insane motor on the market was that, that um, V 12 that was available from AMG. That's something like 738 pound feet of torque right. in, in the S 65 and the SL 65. So the sedans and the, and the, the big coupes. And that was like an 11 second car, uh, at a drag strip right out of the box. And that's crazy. There was nothing really like that from any other manufacturer. And then within five years, there was. You right. know, you could get that in a bunch of places. Um, but in terms of drivers feel like, I think there are still really good driver's cars out there. Like the after the GTR came out, you got cars like the Mustang Boss 302, yeah. which was uh, which was a really good car. And, and BMW uh, 1M. Yeah, I mean, you have that. You have the Alpha 4C you had the NC yeah. Miata, you know. Caymans like, which, have always been around. What's that? The Cayman and the Boxster. Yeah, although, you know, increasing... I, I get Blake's point that cars are increasingly insulated and it's harder to find cars that aren't... Like, nowadays, you know, if, if you picked up an E46 M3, that mm. car had 333 horsepower, right? And mm. it was it was it relied on handling. Like, 300 horsepower... That was decent, but you could get that other places. If you wanted, you could get that from a domestic car, you know, very close to it. Um, so it was relying on chassis feel and fun to driveness. Nowadays, the BMW M whatever has crazy horsepower. Is there an M car with under 400 horsepower out there? No, I think even the M2 now is at 400 on the dot, right? Like, yeah. that's the way it, it, and I don't even know if, like what else they're 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 working on there so the, the focus has in, has shifted i agree with that uh and that has led to a more insulated experience because these cars have more safety gear they're heavier because they have more luxury in them they're also heavier because every car has expanded in size in terms of classes so like a three series from 2000 or 2001 it's not going to look like a three series from today it's going to look like a it's going to look like a two series you know like yeah, just in terms bigger. of proportion so that's had a deadening effect as well uh, but what do you think, Sammy? I mean, I think drivers' cars. I think the conversation changed significantly when the GT, the GTR reminds me, I, and I think we're actually entering a new a new generation of this kind of conversation as well with the new C8 Corvette. When something showed up that could do so many things with a given uh, price point and a, a certain amount of technology. Remember, the GTR had. Um, that twin turbo V6, it made nearly 500 horsepower, I think. It had a six-speed dual-clutch transmission. It had an all-wheel drive system. Uh, I think a rear-wheel drive biased all-wheel drive system. It had a ton of technology that put all of this in motion in a way that could that could figure out a corner, could figure out um, a track without a lot of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Without worry from the driver you know the the driver is holding on and controlling the throttle essentially and the brake and throttle there the car yeah it's a, it's a more of a video game experience but you know like thinking about other cars we have today like the brz and the gt86 those are those are really good driver's cars as well so driver's right. cars kept getting built i think there were fewer of them because there's just generally fewer coupes and convertibles in overall because no one's right. been buying them so there's there's been a cull where these cars have been kind of sliced out of the automotive mainstream so i definitely agree with that i'm not sure 
when the peak era for driver's cars was because i mean in the 90s no it was definitely the 90s it had to be because especially when especially when the japanese bubble happened that but, was, there it seemed like there was a car for everybody for everybody yeah, but a, a every car type like, of driver too but Not a car like, like the 300ZX and the 3000GT were very heavy uh, high-tech, straight-line, high-speed cars. I mean, not every car was like a lightweight RX-7, you know? Like, yeah, and then there were there were RX-7s, and there were like MR2s or uh, even not Japanese models. You can go into the the domestic line, even like what are the Fox Body Mustangs? No, that, those lake? are not driver's cars whatsoever. <laughs> no, they're not. They're, those are, managed those are cars with a lot of work. You can make them into something that's good on a racetrack, but I would not call mm. them driver's cars. And, okay. and neither is the F-Body from that era. And the Corvette, I I mean, maybe you have an argument there. I just think that it's a moving target. You know, like those cars got better. Like a 1LE is a really great car today. A 1LE back then was an okay car, but I don't think, you know, you would consider it to be at the same level as a Supra. Whereas today, I think the Camaro 1LE could hand the Supra its lunch on a racetrack. No question. So like, what about the taking a look at like... I think a driver's car, a driver's car nameplate has existed over these generations, and I think it's the MX-5. You know, the MX-5 from the 90s to 2021 we're in now. You can see that same lineage. It's still focused like a driver's car. Juice, juice. Was there a best version of that car? Or I mean, my favorite, my favorite Miata is like a mid 90s NA. Yeah, like but after 94, I think that's the best driver's car. Sorry, I don't know if maybe you, maybe that's how you, that's what you do classify as. I don't understand your question. Just that's just your personal favorite. I think it's the best driving Miata, if that's what you're asking me. Okay, cool. After the '94 upgrades were made, nice. But there's... I think the new one. I think the new one is pretty good. I think there's a tiny bit of an issue with the steering more in comparison to, huh? More than a tiny bit. Really, more than a tiny bit in comparison to the NC or something. I like the NC more. I think the NC is a. a but I don't drive. like the NC's transmission. Well, I mean, isn't that I... weird? <laughs> Lots of things are weird. Uh, we, we just had a 30-minute conversation about waterfalls. So, But I, I don't know if that answers your question, Blake. I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's tough. I don't know if I have an answer um, that's, that's really comprehensive because there's so many different factors involved. Well, and we, I, think that, I think we're definitely moving away from driver's cars as hmm. we move towards electrification because those cars are very insulated and it's all going to be drive-by-wire, steer-by-wire, whatever. Uh, just because it's going to be easy and reliable and inexpensive and they're going to be heavy. So all those things kind of conspire to remove you from the driving experience. And I do think that modern cars remove you from the driving experience more than anything in the 90s and the early 2000s. Uh, that That is definitely true. Definitely. I agree with that. Um, anything else you want to add this week for the podcast? I don't think so. just want to remind people if they want to support us on Kofi, it's uh, ko fi dot com forward slash unnamed automotive podcast and uh, we appreciate any of the support you want to send our way if you want to hear older episodes of the podcast um you can do that at unnamed automotive podcast.com all of the past episodes are there to listen i think this is episode 222 and you can snag us on your local local <laughs> on your favorite podcatcher spotify or your local one well, you know or you a, local one. a local one waterfall uh, supported hamilton podcatcher uh <laughs> castbox amazon google apple we are everywhere you can find us on the website or you can find us just searching in your podcatcher okay enough searching what you really want to do is get in touch with either ben or myself it's super easy to do you go to our website unnamed automotive podcast.com you fill out the contact form over there and it lands in our inbox it's that easy 
Additionally, you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. You can send him a message. I think he he's cool with that, right, Ben? You can sure. slide. You can slide into his DMs. You can stroll in there. You can walk. You can run. Whatever. Don't make, you it, do. don't make it weird, Sammy. Okay. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore Ha. Like you're laughing. You can uh, follow me, reach out to me, tweet me, whatever, and um, I'll. Assuming you're not rude about it, I'll probably reach out back to you. Wow, why would they be rude, Sammy? We have the best audience in podcasting. Also, That's if you true. need, if you want to get in touch with Sammy in any in, in uh, a more esoteric way, you can walk to your nearest waterfall, put a message in a bottle, throw it into the waterfall. Sammy will read your message in a dream and then interpret it in a future episode. Uh, furthermore, if you have a slightly more high-tech way of wanting to get in touch with us, like email, you could reach out to – it's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Either or. Either or is good. Uh, what right. are you driving next week, Sammy? I'm driving the Kia K5 with all-wheel drive, and I'm comparing it to the uh, Toyota Camry all-wheel drive. I'll be driving the MDX, which we have talked about, uh, the Acura MDX. So we'll just do a brief discussion of that and see if my impressions match yours. Very cool. I can't wait. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. See ya.